0: That last song the worship team sang has become very dear to my heart over the last couple of years. I've heard it a number of times. It speaks to what we're going to talk about this morning. But I should say that thanks for reading that passage, Jim, from Psalm 119. That's going to be our text this morning. The whole Psalm 119, so we might be here for a couple of weeks. (laughs) After Jim's sermon last Sunday, I felt a little bit like I'm in his exhaust fumes. He spoke a lot about the Word of God and its authority in our lives, and also the importance of the Word of God in our lives. This is how God speaks to us today in the 21st century. That song, that last song we sang was written by a lady by the name of Lynn Deschazzo. I don't know much about her. But the words of those, that song always speak to me. And I'll just I'll go through a small part of that song and just tell you what kind of thoughts come to my mind when I hear those words. It begins, holy words long preserved. These words are meticulously were meticulously preserved by Hebrew scribes over uh, centuries of time these scribes may have been the greatest record keepers of all time they were so meticulous that if there was one small error they would throw out the whole scroll and begin again hence we have the reference by Jesus in Matthew 5.18 referring to one jot or tittle in the King James. We owe these scribes a great deal for their careful preservation of of the Word of God for us. The next line says, for our walk in this world. Our walk in this world is fraught with dangers on every hand, dangers we face daily. One of these great dangers we as believers face every day is the danger of being drawn, but drawn in by the lure of sin, James 1.13. Is a call to flee the lure of sin, as well as a call to celebrate the new life we have in Christ. The next line is, they resound with God's own heart. So although these words were written down, with, uh, down by men, I should have used a larger font, uh, down by men, they originated in the mind of God. Thus their origin makes them eternal words, words that cannot be taken lightly. Or let the ancient words impart. So we think of these words being written down by man, inspired by the Holy Spirit a very long time ago, and that in itself makes them ancient words. I think we know that these words, these thoughts originated in the mind of God which as we've already said makes them eternal words God did not decide at the time the Holy Spirit inspired men to write these words down uh, what the words should be or what words should be included in the canon of scripture Isaiah 40 verse 8 says the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It shall stand from eternity to eternity past to eternity future if you can use those terms. It will never change. And Another line I'd like to refer to is changing me and change you, changing you. and tell, I want to tell you a little story about what my Father said, used to say, he used to say that some people come to church or go to study the Word of God with a pitchfork. And what he meant by that was that some people go to the Word of God or they hear the Word of God and they try to apply it to their brother. We should be applying the Word of God to ourselves rather than to our brother. Our first priority is to apply the Word of God to our own lives. This morning I want to help us to gain a greater appreciation for the Word of God, and I can think of no better way to do that than to take a look at Psalm 119. Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey me. Let's read the first part of Psalm 119. Jim already read verses 9 to 16. Uh, And that passage starts out, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? And I learned that verse when I was a young man But now I have to change the wording. How can an old man keep his way pure? And I found out that it's the same way that a young man keeps his way pure. By living according to your word. Although I might add here that if a young man can keep his way pure, he'll have less trouble than an old man keeping his way pure. Starting at verse 1. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me." Here's a little story about Psalm 119. Solomon was the king of Israel nearly a thousand years before Christ came to the earth. Solomon built a temple in Jerusalem. About 600 BC the nation of Babylon fought the Jews. Babylon was about 800 kilometers east of Jerusalem. The Babylonians won the fight and they took many Jews to Babylon. This is referred to as the exile. The Babylonians also destroyed the temple. After the exile many Jews went back to their own country and about 500 BC they rebuilt the temple. Then they made the book of psalms to sing in their new temple. Some were old psalms by David, Moses, and Isaiah. Other psalms were new, like Psalm 1, and Psalm 119 was probably one of these new psalms. It was a very special psalm. There are 176 verses or parts in it. Some people think that 176 different people wrote one verse each. Other people think that Ezra wrote all of Psalm 119. Ezra was a Jewish leader about 450 B.C. So there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. The Jews spoke Hebrew, so they wrote Psalm 119 in their Hebrew language. The first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Elef. Verses 1 to 8 all begin with Aleph. Beth is the second letter. Verses 9 to 16 all begin with Beth. Verses 17 to 24 begin with the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet and so on. So there are 22 times 8, or 176 verses in the psalm. We think they did this to make it easier for them to remember the psalm. It was probably a psalm that Jewish leaders were required to remember. We have not made the verses. We, we have not made the verses to start with the right letter in this translation. It's pretty hard to do. But we put the psalm into 22 groups of 8 verses in each group. There are also 8 special words in the psalm. To the Jews, these eight words were important. They described what God told them to do. They're also important for Christians because they tell them the ways that God speaks to them. The most important way is through the Bible. We call the Bible the Word of God. Summer 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. You'll probably find that you can study it more easily in groups of eight verses. That's what I found out. We often receive appeals from relief organizations with pictures of starving children from some poverty-stricken area of the world. It's sad that people are starving when there's plenty of food in the world to feed them. But I wonder, does God see... I wonder if God could take a snapshot of our spiritual condition. Would we look like these children spiritually? starved for the food for our soul that is in his word. If so, it is especially sad because in our country we all own Bibles or at least have easy access to a Bible. Nowadays, it's just a click on the Google and you you have the Bible right in front of you. Usually, that's, Usually what is lacking with a person who's spiritually malnourished is the motivation to feed himself or else some basic principles on how to do it. I hope to motivate us to feed ourselves from God's Word and to give us a few basic principles to get us going. Psalm 119 shows us that the Word of God should have top priority in our lives. It stands as a giant among the Psalms. It's the longest Psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. Since the book of Psalms is the longest book in the Bible, it shows us the priority of praise and worship to God. Since Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible, it shows us the priority that God's Word should have in our life. Depending on how you count, only three to five couplets lack a direct reference to the written Word of God through some synonyms such as laws, testimonies, statutes, etc. Although he, there are some obvious themes running through the Psalm, the overall structure seems to be determined mostly by the alphabetic arrangement. It is the A to Z of God's Word. We could easily spend six months working through the Psalms. Spurgeon has 398 pages on it in his Treasury of David. Another pastor preached 19 sermons on random verses from it. I'm just gonna skim over a few themes under the overall theme that because the Bible is God's authoritative, reliable, and powerful word, we should make it top priority in our lives. There are many qualities we can study about the Bible, but I'm just going to develop three themes from Psalm 119. God's word is authoritative, reliable, and powerful. Number one. The Bible is God's authoritative word. When God speaks, He doesn't mumble. The Bible is a book of help is not a book of hel- helpful hints for happy living. It speaks with authority. The terms we use as synonyms for the Bible in this Psalm. Convey the concept of authority. Number one, law. This synonym is used 25 times in this psalm. It has the nuance of teaching. It can refer to a single command to the first five books of Moses or to all the scripture. The law reveals God's will for how his people are to live. Since it comes from God, the law is not just academic interest but for obedience. Number two, testimonies. This word is used ten times in the psalm. From a root meaning to bear witness. It points to the dependability of the Bible as a witness of things of God. It also has the nuance of warning. Number three, ways. This is used seven times. Refers to God's characteristic manner of acting, as contrasted with our ways. Number four, precepts, used 21 times in this psalm, comes from a word meaning to oversee or to play, pay close attention to a matter. Thus it points to the particular instructions of the Lord as one, of the, as one who cares about details. Statutes, number five, statutes, used twenty-two times, comes from the from a word meaning to engrave in stone, and thus they speak of binding force and permanence of scripture. By the way, that was a quote from a man named Kidner. I don't know who he is, but I took the quote and found it on Google. <laughs> number six, commandments. Used twenty two times in the Psalms points to the straight authority of what is said. Again from Kidner. It has the idea of giving orders, judgments or ordinances, used thirteen times. Has the idea of justice rooted in God's character. These are the decisions of all the wise of the all wise judge about common human situations. Again, Kidner. Number eight, word. Used 23 times. It's the most general term of all, emphasizing the fact that God has spoken. Number ten, faithfulness. We find that in verse 90, verse 40, and verse 132 are also sometimes cited as while also righteousness and name, are also cited as synonyms for the scripture in this psalm. The sum effect of these terms is that the scriptures speak with God's authority. They are not Reader's Digest type hints on how to live or suggestions for success. What the Bible says, God says, obedience is not optional for us as believers. Number two, the Bible is God's reliable word. You can trust God's word. All of it is faithful, righteous, and true. It doesn't change with the times. One of the amazing things about the Bible is that it speaks with practical relevance to every culture in every period of history. When I read Expositions of scripture written over the centuries to people in a very different world than our own, they still speak with relevance to me. The answers to all the problems we face today are in the Bible, because it speaks God's truth to our human condition, which has not changed over the centuries. Satan is always trying to undermine the credibility of God's word. If he can't do it by attacking the inerrancy of Scripture, he does it by subtly eroding belief in the sufficiency of Scripture. Pastor John MacArthur writes in a quote, Contemporary evangelicalism has been, has been beguiled and sabotaged by a ruinous lack of confidence in the God Word. I'm not talking about the question of whether God gave us an inerrant Bible, of course he did. The great majority of evangelicals today accept that without question. But many who would never doubt the Bible's authenticity as God's word or distrust its essential distrust its essential authority as a guide for righteous living have nevertheless accepted the notion that scripture simply does not contain all we need to minister well in the fields of, in these complex and sophisticated modern times. So they turn to human expertise in the fields of psychology, business, government, politics, entertainment, or whatever else they might think might supply some recipe for success that's lacking in the scripture. We need to come back to what the psalmist here repeatedly affirms: The scripture is reliable because it comes to us from God who understands our needs and who graciously has revealed how we should live. The Bible is God's authoritative, reliable word. We must trust it, end of quote. I know it's a long quote. (laughs) Down through the centuries, the Bible, well, number three, the Bible is God's powerful word. Down through the centuries, the Bible has had life-transforming effects in the lives of countless people from every conceivable walk of life. Here are five of the effects of the Word from Psalm 119. A. The Word gives us, brings us into a living relationship with the living God. We don't study the Bible to become Bible scholars nor do we study it simply to learn and follow its moral precepts, although we should do that. We study the Bible to seek God himself. The Word of God brings us into spiritual life and sustains us in that life when our hearts grow cold. Since God is the author of life itself, his word has life-giving power. to bring the spiritually dead person to life and to renew the believer. When the psalmist in New Testament terminology is while the psalmist in the New Testament terminology is already born again he recognizes that the Word of God is the source of spiritual life and vitality. The Hebrew word means cause me to live. If the psalmist needed ongoing revival how much more do we the source of such revival is vital contact with god through his life-giving word if you know christ as your savior you're going through a but but you're going through a difficult or dry time many of us are now seek god through his word god will use it to revive you if you don't yet know christ read the word John is a good place to start. And ask God to reveal himself to you. He will, and you will be born again to a living hope. This is the life-giving power in the word because it brings a person into a living relationship with a living God, B. The word gives us stability in trials. This is a major theme of the psalm. The psalmist, we don't know who he was, some suggest Ezra, was living in a hostile environment. People were speaking against him. He repeatedly says he was being afflicted. Evil men were persecuting him. The Bible is clear that godly people are not exempt from trials. Indeed, it's a promise that you can count on. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. But in all his trials, God's word gave the psalm stability and comfort. After a trip to the United States, a German theologian was asked his observation about American Christianity. He replied, "They they have an inadequate view of suffering. He was right. I'm convinced that one of The greatest need for believers today is to learn how to deal with trials biblically. And we have a great opportunity right now. We have robbed God of his sovereignty by accepting the false notion that trials come from the devil. But that makes Satan sovereign, which is blasphemy. I've heard many times, God didn't cause this trial, he just allowed it. As if it gets God off the hook. People are afraid that if we say that God caused the trial and robs him of his goodness. But we need to join the psalmist in affirming both the sovereignty and the goodness of our God when we go through trials. We may not understand God's purpose in our suffering, but we know and must affirm by faith that he is both sovereign and good. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Very well-known verse from Romans 8, verse 28. Number C, the the Word gives us direction in life. We all have to make hundreds of decisions Decisions that determine the outcome of our lives. Some are minor, some are major, but they all clump together to shape our lives. In the complex world in which we live, we desperately need God, God's wisdom for making sound decisions. In the winter, sometimes we have to shut the light off, shut off the light and try to navigate the room in the dark without running into chairs and other objects. We're not always successful. The world is like that. It's dark and strewn with obstacles to trip us up. As we grow up in the dark, if we, have made a, if we make a wrong turn, we can experience a great deal of pain. God's word is our source of light. It shows us the path of God's wisdom so that we don't have to whack our shins in the dark. This kind of wisdom does not come by neglecting the word until a crisis hits and then opening it up for some emergency guidance. We've heard of the man who needed to know God's will and so he opened the Bible at random and pointed to a verse and, said, and it said, Judas went out and hanged himself. He thought, well, I better try again. So he pointed again and the verse said, go and do thou likewise. <laughs> so he thought, this can't be what God wants. So I'll try once more. So he pointed again at random and read, what thou doest, do quickly. God's wisdom and direction comes from a thorough knowledge of his word, gleaned over the years as a person walking closely with him. D. The word produces purity in our lives. Each of us wrestles with the problem of inward purity. We might be able to put on a good show outwardly, but inwardly we are centered by nature and we wage war against wrong thoughts, desires, and attitudes. God's word is essential for becoming pure in heart. John Bunyan once, said it well, he said, This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And it's very true. If you will meditate on God's word and commit it to memory, God will use it to keep you from sin. Even if you don't retain it and think you're wasting your time in God's word, you're not. D.L. Moody once said, the only way to keep a broken vessel full is by keeping the faucet running. Keeping the faucet of God's word running repeatedly through your mind will clear out the garbage and make you pure. E, God's word gives us joy and delight. Some Christians are castor Christians. The Bible is bitter but good for what ails you. A chapter a day keeps the devil away. Others are shredded wheat Christians. The Bible is dry but nourishing. The psalmist was a peaches and cream believer. He delighted in God's Word and couldn't get enough of it. He had joy in the midst of his afflictions. We can know that same joy as we delight ourselves in God's Word. Wherever the Word of God has gone, no matter how pagan the culture, it has transformed lives. When David Livingston was pioneering in Africa, he offered to teach one tribal chief to shoot And also to read. But the the chief declined because he was afraid that if he learned to read the Bible, it might change his heart and make him content with only one wife, as it had done for another chief. He was perceptive. The Word of God is authoritative, it is reliable, and it is powerful to change the hearts of sinners into saints. Thus, number four, the Bible deserves top priority in our lives to benefit from the word you must be diligent in in three responsibilities we must learn god's word god doesn't automatically zap us with a knowledge of his word we must apply ourselves with diligence and discipline to order in order to learn the word in the process we must be taught of god of course But we must also spend time and effort learning. With the busy lives we all lead, it takes discipline. We must make it a priority to learn the Word. We must obey God's Word. Knowledge without obedience leads to spiritual pride and deception. Stuart Briscoe once asked an audience, What do you do with the commandments in Scripture? A little old lady raised her hand and said, I underlined them in blue. God's word isn't given to fill our notebooks, but to correct our sin. This is a dominant theme in the psalm, but especially in verses 1 to 8. We must love God's word. Love is the motive for obedience. We are to love God's word because it reveals the God of love to us. His loving commandments are for our good. If you've lost your love for God's word, you need to repent and recover to your first love. Practical suggestions. Maybe you don't know, how much, know much about the Bible or have never read or studied it. You tried once and died in Leviticus overwhelmed with the king's English. How do you get started? Five brief suggestions by a good modern translation. The Bible is written in, a, in common language. In 1611 when the King James Version was translated, they talked with these and those. Today we do not. For study I use a Holman Christian Standard Bible. A study Bible can be helpful. The New International ver- Version is a bit freer and easier to read. I know many use the English Standard Version and that's fine too, that's a great translation. The NIV sometimes referred to by critics as the nearly inspired version. I might add here that none of the translations are inspired. We, oh, we know that only the original documents were inspired and we have none of them. So we don't have anything, any writing that's inspired. We have translations of it and we can trust these translations because they date back to early copies it's the most uh, substantiated or proven ancient document we have in the world: is the Bible. Be systematic according to your needs. I would re- recommend starting in the New Testament. Always read Psalm- also read Psalms and Proverbs in the Old Testament. After you've read through the New Testament a few times and are grounded, you can build on it with the Old Testament. Your needs will vary. Sometimes you'll want to read through the whole New Testament or through a whole book very rapidly. Other times you'll want to slow down and chew on a shorter section. But you have some systems systems so that you aren't haphazard in your approach. Let the Bible interpret itself to you as you compare Scripture with Scripture. A good way, good thing to apply when we want to interpret scripture, nothing interprets scripture like scripture itself. A general rule, the epistles interpret the Gospels. The New Testament interprets the Old Testament. Check your interpretation against several reputable scholars. Be prayerful. Ask God to teach you. Commune with him as you read, study, and meditate. Be persistent. If you miss a day or two, don't quit. Three days a week week is better than none. Five days is better than three. Keep at it. Be practical. The Bible is meant to be obeyed. Apply it to your life. Not to your mate or your kids. Ask God for wisdom in applying it. Be as specific as possible. For example, you may apply... Psalm 119.11 by thinking I ought to memorize scripture. That's okay, but too general. Tomorrow, on my lunch break, I'll take 15 minutes to write Psalm 119.9 and 11 on a 3x5 card and commit it to memory. That's specific and practical. This isn't always always easy to do, but if you work at it, you'll see growth. Business guru, Tom Peters, was asked at a seminar what he thought was the most important criteria for career success. Tom turned, went to the board and wrote in one and a half foot letters, passion. You ought to love what you do. Ray Kroc, who was the late chief of McDonald's, was Serious when he used to say, You ought to be able to see the beauty in a hamburger bun. Debbie Fields, the founder of Mrs. Fields Cookies, says, I'm not a businesswoman, I'm a cookie person. And that's what we need to demonstrate when we approach God's Word, our passion for it. My question is, Are you a person of the Word? Is it your passion? If not, You're spiritually malnourished. Ask God to revive you through his word. If you can't find the time, I have one final suggestion. Turn off your TV set. Amen.